Hey, this is Eric Oldman. You're listening to the Rockin' Chicago Show. In each episode, I connect with musicians, artists, and industry people who are involved with Chicago's underground and independent music scene. The show is really a conversation about our creative processes, our hopes, our dreams, and experiences recovering as we all navigate through the challenges brought on by the pandemic and moving forward to a new day where we can create and perform music in and around our fair city. My guest for this episode is musician and instrument maker Joe Rowan. We're going to do a deep dive into Joe's two major passions uh, in this episode, uh, talking about the art and craft of his um, very unique process in making musical instruments, often from common household items such as a shovel or a tennis racket, along with um, the work that he's actually producing uh, with these instruments. Um, We'll be featuring some tracks that he has uh, as sort of previews for an upcoming album he's working on. And uh, kind of Joe's background as a student at Berklee College of Music in Boston and how that helped shape him as a musician, along with his uh, current studies in Indian classical music here in Chicago. I have to preface this with the fact that I've never lived in the Chicago city limits, not even once. Okay. But Chicago is where my formative musical experiences happened, coming okay. to see shows yeah. as a teenager. Okay. And it's where I've made a name for myself. I've, I've lived other places, but the, right. the place that I've made a name for myself is Chicago. Okay. So I'm, at the very least, I'm a, I'm a Chicago uh, stepson, at least musically. Okay. And I'll leave it to you, to the listener, to decide if I have rocked in Chicago or not. Um, we're going to kick things off with a piece called A Psychic Doghouse at the Dawn of Time. Get into um, 
your uh, work around creating instruments, how did you get started with like wanting to make things? The the seeds of it have something to do, I think, with a, a kind of a preoccupation with musical instruments apart from music. Um, and I can remember as far back as as fifth grade when I joined the band. I went. I moved to a different school. They had band, and when I joined it, I I got a folder for my for my music, and I drew the musical instruments on it. I drew trumpets and saxophones and, and flutes. And I, I came to my music teacher, this is like the first week. So the second week I showed the music teacher, I said, look, I drew all the saxophones and I had drawn alto and tenor. And he said, well, you haven't drawn all of them. There's, there's still the soprano and the baritone. And I, I think I had to get an encyclopedia or something to look up what they looked like. But when I, when I had them all drawn in a row, you see the soprano saxophone is straight, the alto is a little curvy, the tenor is very curvy, and the baritone even loops back on itself. Right. And so it, it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks that there is this um, that there is a system at work. The instrument, as it gets bigger, gets curvier. And, and something about that, there was a little, like, a little change in me happened that day because I found that the same was true for clarinets. They get curvier and, and guitars have a similar yeah. sort of, I don't know, there's a, there's a continuum of ideas between there's the nylon string acoustic and then the steel string acoustic is kind of the halfway point between that and the electric. And, and somewhere in there, I just got really interested in musical instruments themselves, not, you know, as a musician, but as a like just, kind of object of art, right? yeah, right. As, as just a, an interesting thing, and 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 why some worked and some didn't. So there's there's a saxophone um, in between tenor and alto called the C melody saxophone, which which should be the standard instrument because it right. can it can read music the same in the same the same clef in right? the same in the is same clef the concert instrument and yeah. for some reason that saxophone just is not as effective as the no. others. But why and 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 who decides? So, so these questions have been on my mind my whole, you know, kind of parallel to my musical learning. And finding a way to interact with those has been um, nagging at me quietly for a long time. And, and so that's one tributary of the river. And another is that I'm, I'm very interested in art and the, just the sculptural elements and, and mixing colors and design and all that stuff. And I thought that I was going to pursue art like when it was time for college and kind of did a last-minute uh, change route to study music. But the urge never went away to, to make art, you know, visual art that could stand on its own merits. And so, so the interest in instruments and the, the urge to do visual art, somehow I was trying to find a way to integrate those things into a musical life. How's that for an answer? That's a good start. Yep. Um, so that's kind of the the background of of getting into it. Um, kind of looking at some of your your the things that you post on your social media channels. Um, and this is 2022 almost. So social media is a it's a a thing now, right? Um. But that's really my introduction. You you emailed me, um, and then I just kind of went and looked. I'm like, yeah, because <laughs> um, I I like weird shit, um, without a doubt. Anything that's creative and weird that that, that piques my interest, non standard. And I don't want to say it's a non conformist thing, but it's like you're on a kind of your own path with this. Um, I'm I'm right in the you, same boat. How how do you how do you approach like making an instrument? Like what what are some of the things that kind of 
say, okay, like you have a, a guitar. I'm assuming it's a guitar that's made up from a shovel. Mm-hmm. Like what was the impetus for creating a, a guitar off of what I would consider like a found object or a utility object? Mm-hmm. And you turn that into a stringed instrument. Like, what was the thought process behind that? Now that there's about two dozen instruments in my in my repertoire, I can kind of group them into different ways they come about. Okay. One is that I see an item that catches my fancy, and I think that would be the nexus around which an instrument could be built. Some found thing, or sometimes I, I just think of it, I think, oh, you know, a, a shovel would be good. And then I try but and... Why? <laughs> well, the... the the because you dig it. Yeah. No, I'm making a pun here, right? Bad the, bad jokes. <laughs> the the shovel, the shovel, and the tennis racket ones have have an interesting thing, which is that they they seem like they're not like guitars, but they're actually a lot like guitars. Well, I could see it with a tennis racket with the form because it, it kind of makes sense just from a visual and aesthetic. Like the form of it looks like a banjo, right? Yeah. Right. And I mean, as a kid, like you could see like playing it as a toy is like I'm playing guitar or banjo with that as a play object. But like, um, like shovel, though, like to me, shovel is like a complete disconnect. Well, as, as far as, there, as far as resonant the, properties or the tennis racket thing is interesting because yeah. adults often say to me, they go, you are so creative. How did you think? A right. tennis racket, but but give any six year old a tennis racket. And they're gonna fifteen seconds before right. they're strumming it like a ukulele. They know, right? So it's right. it's obvious in a sense. But the thing about shovels is that uh, is like a guitar. They have a long narrow right. part, and on one end is a kind of small protuberance, and on the other end is a larger one. Right. Um, but it's it's not a coincidence because uh, they're they're meant. They're made by humans for humans, right. and there's all sorts of things that have that have that kind of like okay. um, I don't know what you call it exactly, but there's a, a kind of template because we're all a, about the same height, you know. But with within reason, we're four to six feet tall, and we all have hands, and so there's all these objects that like they seem they fit in that range of utility, right? They they got to fit within your right. five fingered hand, and right. they got to reach the ground from your. You know, there's there's some kind of like common form, deep commonality right. to the objects that we we forget that we're the ones who made them, and we've kind of accidentally made a lot of them alike. And there's a lot of you see the similarities in these found utility objects that are floating around. That that the form is actually very consistent, right? So wh- why wouldn't you make that into a th- throw a, throw a string, a bridge, and a tuning peg on it? And there mm-hmm. you go, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the name of the game is that is right. that you play with these things where 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 differences and similarities are are jumbled and uh and and sometimes the it's your subconscious that gets the joke. Okay. That's the hope at least is is that right. I put things out there. Sometimes it's obvious like it's a shovel and it's a guitar. Right. Other times the the thing is subtler, but I I think uh your conscious mind goes, oh, that's interesting. But your subconscious mind is going, are they the same? Are they different? Are they the same? Are they different? Have I seen this that's, before? That's actually the fun of it, right? That's yeah, the yeah. fun of it, and yeah, yeah. and you experience it hopefully in a kind of general. I don't know. It it works. It works slowly sometimes. Okay. Um, and then um, then there's other things that just look completely like I would say Susian. Yeah, where you're you're adding things like cane handles yeah. to the things as like a, an ornamentation almost. And does this go back to your fascination with like adding the curves to things based off of seeing things with like the horn structures, what they would do that for extending tube length, you know, but it, it, it also adds an, a certain aesthetic to that. 
Cane, canes are great. Um, I use canes probably more often than just about any other found object. I just like them. Uh, but in some ways, they're they're functional. I've got a few instruments where the canes kind of protrude in the same way that the, I don't know what you call them, the horns of an electric guitar do. Right. And and those have the same, it's it's the same kind of thing where where the thing about a guitar is that is that it's, it's got two curvy things that kind of double back towards the neck. And so I make instruments where I put something curvy that doubles back towards the neck, except it's not the thing you expect. It's it's something that you know doesn't belong there. So again, the hope is that it's uh, it plays with expectations and it uses what your brain thinks should be there kind of against you a little bit. And the hope is that at least sometimes that makes an effective, um, I don't know, impression on you. Do you have any training or undergo any training as like um, a woodworker or luthier to build any of these things? I have almost no training at all. Okay. Um, my my uncle is a is a luthier, Denny Rowan, who's who shop for many years has been in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and he thankfully took a day with me and showed me how to fret. Just the common basic things you need just for a stringed instrument. Just right. the common basic stuff, right, right, um, yeah. because I wanted to do more fretted instruments, and so he was he was generous enough to give me, um, I'll call it a crash course. Although on on his end the instruction was was good, right. uh, but how much I was able to pick up of that, you know, that's on me. But so I, I learned at least something about fretting an instrument and that's essentially the only Luthery training I have. Okay. That, that's brave. <laughs> Cause I mean, these are, these things are very impressive looking and they're very artful. Um, and they're, they're seeing, I mean, I, I, I would say there's a, you have a good amount of like craftiness to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you have the one, it looks like you have the sound box, there's like an auto harp built into it, and then you have the canes protruding out at the end, like the horns. Yeah. Like, tuning systems and all that, are you keeping constant with, like, regular sort of guitar tunings, or are you, is that another thing that you kind of, like, just kind of explored with that, or? I'm, I have to say that I'm not really, number one, I'm not really interested in sound. Okay. There's there's a whole school of people who make instruments because they, they want to find unusual sounds and and there's there's techniques and there's schools of thought about that i really i like those people and i admire them and i'm friends with some of them but that's not my interest yours Um, is it's the visual artistic expression yeah it's more from a design place and and there's a there's another school of people who are interested in tuning and temperament right and that stuff i also find that very interesting it's just not the work i do so as as best i can these are all uh, 12, 12 note to the octave, equal Allegory, temperament. Allegories to guitar, basically. Yeah. Or ukulele or... Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Although I, I'm, I'm open to it, and I, I, do, I do poke my head around YouTube now and then for, like, you know, commentaries on temperaments. Right. And I'd, I'd like to get there someday, but it's not, uh, it's not a priority. It's more about playing with the form itself, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um. And the, most of the things that you do are stringed instruments, or do you work in any other like forms? Like, I'm just looking at this performance of you mm-hmm. playing here, um, and these other for, things. For, for the listener, I'm doing great. We're looking at a video of me playing, and I'm, yeah. I can just tell by the confident look on my face that I'm <laughs> doing a great job up there. Yeah, but there's other things that are on the stage, like percussion instruments or uh, mm-hmm. key-based like percussion instruments. Are are you into that territory as well? The, the majority of the instruments are 
are stringed instruments of some kind. Okay. I would say very few of them are guitars. There's right. there's a few that are pretty clearly banjos. Okay. There's there's a couple that are pretty clearly basses, and there's a few that are that you could kind of go one way or the other based on what you think the most salient feature is. Okay. So strings are definitely the most represented. Um, woodwinds probably the second most. I've okay. got a I've got a wow a few clarinets. And some pretty weird ones. There's there's at least a couple that are that are double and triple clarinets, okay. and I've got a an armful of flutes in every key. And so I, you do have. I mean, you're following a system then for the construction, at least on a, a technical level, so a musician could pick this up and play this, who has at least a, a fundamental understanding of what that analog is, right? Yeah. It, okay. It, it's for any if it's for anything, it's for my own benefit because I have to play them all right. in combination with one another. Okay. And it's already difficult enough to make sure that they can function. They can work together. Right. So if there was ones that had different temperaments, that would be. That would be too much to... another layer to manage, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's already about as complicated as it can be. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, I'm liking this double neck thing you have going on. It's like the double neck banjo. Um, And well, I think what we'll do, um, just for the listeners out there too, is uh, we'll definitely post some links to our... Well, there'll be a a feature on the Rock in Chicago.org website Mm -hmm. where people can actually explore your performances with these things to really understand the depth of this. Cause I mean, obviously it doesn't translate to conversation and I'm just kind of reacting to stuff and trying to describe it. Listeners are just going to have to assume that these are absolutely beautiful, stunning, well-crafted works of musical art. And they absolutely take my word for it, please. (laughs) These are all just things that you perform with. Like you don't make these instruments for anybody else. You don't do any kind of um, commission work or any of that, that this is just all for your personal usage as a performer they're all for my personal usage um and the main reason for that is that i want to have um i like mentorships i like partnerships i like meeting people who are interested in music and want to hear more of it the the relationship that i'm least interested in having is customers okay and and for that reason i basically don't it's purely art right it's purely i i just don't want to be Right. Um, I don't want to have relationships with people where people call me up and, and they tell me what they want and then I've got to, Try to check in out. and say, oh, is, is it right? I, I mostly just want to follow my muse. Okay. And the people who like that, I want to talk about these things with, you know, what do you get out of it? What do you think the intention is? Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to take orders and I don't want someone to say, oh, you know, could you make it like that one you made before? Right. Well, th- that one I made before was because when I was in the... In the hardware store, something spoke to me, right. and it's it set me on a journey. Place and time for that piece. It's a unique art piece of art, right? Yeah. So if, if someone says, "Oh, make another one," I don't know. I've I've already kind of been there. I've I've had that journey. I don't want to reenact it for someone. You know, I, I I've not totally closed the door on on commissions. I could see that there's there's a way that where the relationship wouldn't be like that, right? And right. so I'm. I've not closed the door on it, but it's just again, there's it's one of those things. There's got to be a certain context in place with that to, for you to, for you to feel like there's value in that relationship. Then, right? Yeah, if if the right if the right person in the right situation wanted something, I wouldn't say no. But so far, I, I haven't had heard anything that piqued my interest. We're gonna take another break and listen to some more of Joe's music here. This is Astro Idea theme, uh, which he's composed on some of the instruments we've been talking about. <laughs> Thank you. 
how did you get into Indian classical music? What was your what was your kind of entryway with that? I had been a listener of Indian classical music for a long time since I was, I guess, in my early teens. Okay. And back then, you know, the same sort of stuff that everyone my age gets started with, maybe hearing it with the Beatles first, and okay. then. Ravi Shankar, Ravi Shankar, right. Ali Akbar Khan. Right. Uh, so I was listening to that, and more so in college, getting a little more sophisticated, yeah. taste-wise. Okay. El Shankar, Mahavishnu Orchestra, stuff right. like that. Yep. So it's been on my mind a long time, and I've I've tried to study it. It just it never clicked. Right. Um, I I approached a, a couple of times. I approached teachers, and I I didn't feel it was a good fit. Other times, I wanted to study, and there wasn't someone close to me who could teach so i made many attempts and it never it never gelled and for some reason when i reached out to my current teacher saraswati ranganathan who's who's had a um a teaching and performing practice in chicago for many years it was just i could just feel that it was a good fit okay so i think i think that has more to do with it than anything is that um i don't people say you know when the student is ready the teacher appears I'm usually not prone to that kind of thinking, but in, in my case, it worked. Huh? Yeah, I don't know. the The teacher was right, and they, she was willing. They materialized right, and uh, and our our lessons were productive. And so that's that's basically all that's happened is, is me and a teacher I really admire have been working together. Thinking about this from a, a, a I'm going to use the Western versus Eastern school of thought. Yeah. Uh, so you know, we start out as guitar players. Um, you know, we have a six string guitar. Mm -hmm. We go take lessons from somebody who's a bit older and more experienced to learn things. Um, when, when you approached uh, your current teacher, uh -huh. were did you have? Are, were you already studying an instrument that they, that's where the relationship was, or was it more about kind of the school of thought that you had to kind of start with, and then like you found an instrument that fits your your, your, your voice? Yeah, much more about the school of thought. When okay. I when I approached her, I wasn't even sure what instrument I was gonna right. propose to play. Right. So what I play with her is is a six string electric guitar okay. that's tuned E B E B E B. Okay. So the highest E is is your regular right. E string on a guitar, and the low B is would be the B on a seven string. Okay. In the position of your low E. Okay. Uh, so that's the that's kind of what we arrived at as the instrument and tuning. I, and I tried a couple different different tunings and I tried it with flat wounds. Okay. Which which was a cool sound, but it was not it wasn't quite the right one. So yeah. um, a few different string choices. And was that tuning uh, sort of an analog to a traditional instrument? Yeah, it, it's the closest. My my teacher, uh, her instrument is the vena. Okay. And and she also does. She also is a is a beautiful singer. Right. But the instrument that she plays is the vena, and so my instrument is tuned like her vena is okay. tuned. So it was easy to translate that to the form you're used to playing. Then, okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then. Um, where did where did it start for you? Like, cause I, I'm just really curious on a personal <laughs> level for my own um, learning experience too. Like, um, the the some of the set that you've mentioned, um, you know, being familiar with that, especially around the guitar player John McLaughlin with yeah. the Vishnu Orchestra, mm -hmm. and then later a group that he did with Shakti, mm -hmm. um, which delved more into the the, the fusion of traditional uh, folks folk musics from India and also the classical uh, forms. 
Um, he still played a, a, a stick, like a six-string steel string acoustic, and he had some sympathetic things going on with the, the resonation and all that. Um, but he was still playing jazz licks over the top of it, which was cool mm-hmm. when it was fusion. But like, like how did did you have to like unlearn a bunch of things like when you started with this, or was there a, a sort of a, a moment where you just you had to just kind of start over again? I think McLaughlin had studied Vina in New oh, York. I'm, okay. I'm, I'd bet money that he had. Okay. So I think he knew something about the way that Vina players okay. think about pitch. Right. And so that's not that's not nothing. You know, oh, even yeah. Though, even though he played guitar, I, I think oh, yeah. he had I, 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 Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he had training, right? And yeah. I, I totally believe you on that, too. I mean, do you have to have some innate knowledge of, because it's a completely different system of rhythm and harmony, um, and even melody than we have in the Western world. Yeah, and, and he's able to jive with that and still put his sound over into that, which was fantastic, you know. Um, but yeah, I guess like where, where, how do you, how do you come to it and start though? Is this kind of like, I'm thinking about this as somebody who's a guitar player. Like, what kind of things did you have to kind of either unlearn or, I guess I'm, I'm trying to approach this as somebody who's just has a very superficial, superficial understanding of this. Like, how, how did how did how did how did you get in like get into it as a musician like a school thought or I probably should unlearn some things. Okay. I, I think I haven't unlearned enough. Okay. But it's definitely true that that all my training is is not does not get me far in this world. Yeah. I've, I've got a lot of things that I know how to do right. pretty effectively, and most of them don't help me at all. So okay, right. it, there, there's a whole other thing. You can't rely on a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't rely. You have to do it their way. Okay. And um, some of it has to do with hearing hearing pitch. Yeah. Where you got to hear some pitches that are in between right. our frets, um, but that's that's not as difficult as you think, or or I assume I don't know how difficult you think it is, but but uh, but there's there's a there's a raga rag Saraswati that has a pitch in it that's halfway between sharp four and five. So basically, when you get uh, okay. you you put your finger where the where sharp four is and try and bend a little bit so that You'll it's not. Get it. Yeah, a little more than than where your finger is fretting naturally, not quite as far as okay. as five. Um, but for me, that that's not a radical leap. You do that a few times, and you start to get right. a sense it's of it's retraining your your ear. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I can, I think, with some reliability, can hear whatever that is four sharp and a half. Okay. Um, but it at least for me, it's not like um, it's not like listening to. I don't know Harry Parch or something where where the octave is divided into mm-hmm. fifteen or something instead of twelve. Right. For me, it's mostly at least as far as I can tell. There, assume the tw- the twelve note octave and also each pitch about halfway between because some pitches need to be bent up right. halfway or bent down halfway. So so the pitch thing is not. I think for a for a trained musician, you can. You can at least intellectually, I think you can understand you can, what needs to be done. Right, you figure it out, and then this is basically tweaking and, and just modifying those patterns that you've already got in your your, your mind. To but my right. when I ask my teacher about this, she rare we rarely talk about it like this. It's much more about the flavor, yeah. of a raga. So when I when I say, listen, this this note is it uh, is it a little bit sharp? What she usually says is, listen to this, and and she'll sing a pitch for me. You know, she'll sing a little passage. And she'll sing a passage where that where that note is right. comes up over and over, and and the thing is is it's less more, about like it's oh it's organic. oh it's sharp. It's more like yeah ah that pitch is right. this flavor. It's right. it's 
it's pungent or it's sweet or it's it's gentle or it's it, it's more like that. It's more about the feel. Yeah, of it. I mean, I I guess the you know looking for um, an analog would be blues playing. Okay, and blues mm-hmm. is very simple. It's mm-hmm. the form wise, but it's more about the feeling, the intention. And like you're bending notes if you're soloing or a lick or and a lot of it is to mimic the, the sound of the voice, mm-hmm. which our voices aren't fretted, which is cool. You know, mm-hmm. we, we can hit any any pitch we want in that. And it's, it's not on a Western diatonic scale, you know. Um, and, and it's really that that you have to, to feel the note versus like just hearing it. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the the people who do this music well do an incredible amount of. Of training, but they do right. But but I think that's it's where, a different way where they get right. it. It's less about how do we think about pitch and more. They just train, 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 okay. and they're able to to execute them in a certain way, right? And that's where that it's a comes different from. process altogether. I'll I'll tell you though, as as a guitar player, the the part that really trips me up is that um, your job as an instrumentalist is to is to play a song that's that's sung by a singer. And you've got to assume your audience knows the song. And and an important facet of their music that's not as important in our tradition is where you where you pick. Because Okay. You know, I'm I'm used to playing right. in a way where no one tells me where to pick. Right. You know, if, if I if I pick a note and then slide up the next three, or if I pick all four, huh. more or less makes no difference. Right. But, but in this music, where you pick indicates that a syllable is being sung and okay. where you slide indicates that someone's doing a glissando. Oh, I see. And if you pick in the wrong place, you're essentially putting a syllable where one doesn't right. belong. It's like, it's really the construction of the languages in between the hands versus just the note durations. Okay. Yeah. There's so, a lot more interplay between that execution. Okay. So this is where my teacher stops me all the time when I'll play right. something. I'll play a little thing and she goes, no. And I I think, what do you, you know? What do you mean? I, I play it. Played the note. Played it's fine. Right. And and she goes, "There's there's no uh, there's no pluck on the twelfth note, because huh. she she knows where right. where you put an articulation, and when you pluck where you're supposed it's, to not pluck, right. it sticks right out to them, and she she never misses. I never get one by where, <laughs> you know, where I'm playing, and I think like, oh man, I ran out of time. I better just put a finger down. Just goes, nope. Yeah, it's not about the individual preference. It's about yeah. right, but it the, the it form. shows the way that someone who's steeped yeah. in this music hears. For us, we come back time and again right. to the lyrics. This is a song, okay, and people know how the song it goes. It has to fit and, with the lyrics, and right? They they need you to put that emphasis where it belongs because that's how they're that's how they're processing it musically. So that is a big difference to the kind of playing that I usually do. Okay, very cool. Um, and then, how long have you been? Uh, studying this now about two years with her now okay. so I'm I'm still really an absolute beginner okay but I've been I've been more or less invited to do my first concert I, I oh, played, wow I played one I played a student recital at Indian Boundary Park in Chicago okay last summer with a whole gaggle of, of students from different teachers Hindustani and and uh-huh. Carnatic okay and it was a several hour long thing so okay. it's just a march of people getting up there and doing their right. thing. So I I played a piece uh, for that. So I've I've gotten out there and and face down, right? You know, so uh, is there like a panel of judges that like you know like American Idol or it's they, uh, they turn around and look at you, right? No, no. It, it's mostly all the Joking, all right? the uh, all the moms and spouses of my fellow students who are, could not be more gracious. Right. 
Okay. And so it's a pretty, you know, it's not like facing down a panel. It's all people who, who want to see me do well. So okay. I've played once it's in a different mindset of the culture. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but all this is not the people who I play with are not, um, you know, these are mostly amateurs. They're, they're right. kids who are doing it because they, they're connecting with their culture in that way. But I don't think they intend to be professional musicians or it's people who are more like me, who, who are adults who want to develop a, a thing that they care about. Yeah. But it's not like I'm part of a, right. it's not a competition it, or it's any not of a, that. It's not all, a competition. Right. It's, it's all right. people who want to see each other do well and lift each other up. So it's, it's Playing not hard. All that. So, Serious players of this kind of music usually get started when they're like five yeah. or six or eight. Right. So, so starting when you're 40 is not ideal. Okay. So I'm already up against a serious right. time crunch. For sure. Um, but I'm a person who believes now and has always believed that the stage is where you find out what music is, is like. Yeah. The, the audience and, and going somewhere to do it both subtracts something and adds something. So I, I don't know if you've had this experience, but oh, yeah, I've had absolutely. the experience where... Absolutely. Where you can just like nail something in your bedroom. I mean, you do it. You do it so good, you couldn't do it wrong, and then you get out there and and, and you do tanks. it at like yeah, yeah. that's like at forty percent, and you think right. what what was so different between my room and this this bar? Right. But but whatever it is, it's there. It's it's omnipresent when you go and play. That there's that mm-hmm. it it's a it's a weight. Like it's a yeah. It's a burden, and it makes you a little worse. Right. And there's also a thing that makes you better. There's you you do some great thing on stage, and you think, where was where did that come from? That right. spontaneous, beautiful thing I did that turned out to be exactly what was called for, and uh, I didn't even know that the guy behind me was setting me up for it. And I I yeah. unbeknownst to everyone did the right thing. Where did that come from? So I I just believe that the stage is where you find out. And so my my goal with Carnatic music is to be able to get to the stage at least a few times. And and find out what well, that's like. Find out what me- gets subtracted and right. what gets added. Oh, yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm also pretty interested in in Indian dance. Not okay. as a not as a, a dancer, but there's a whole um, repertoire of music that accompanies dance, and that seems like a viable place. I I don't think I will. No matter how hard I study, will be a, you know like a concert worthy soloist. But I could see myself and a few other people. Um, being good enough to accompany a dance group, and there's okay. a lot of them in Chicago. Okay. It's, again, I, I think Chicago is just a good place for Indian. Right. There's a good culture. nexus of culture and a support for it. That's yeah. excellent. Yeah. So I I could see how how being part of like a the orchestra that accompanies a dance troupe would be appropriate to my skill level. It'd be the kind of thing that people would want to see, so it'd be a chance to play. So my hope is that I can uh, I can get there. Very cool. Um. Yeah, I think that's that's good with mm-hmm. that segment. Um, do you want to? We want to talk about your uh, upcoming or the album you're working on. Yeah. All right. So um, we've been playing some tracks that are kind of previews of things that you have um, been composing and, and recording uh, for an upcoming album. Like, can you tell us more about what this album is going to be and just kind of what sort of the background of it is? I'm going to make an album, which is not something I thought I was going to do, because when I was making these instruments, it seemed to me like the place for them was a show where people could see them and experience them. And people would even ask me, they'd say, why don't you make an album? And I'd think, well, if you can't see what's happening, then, you know, at, at best, you're missing half of it. And probably at worst, you know, there's a drawback, which is if it sounds really great, 
then people will know even less that they're homemade. They'll just think, okay, this guy made an album. So I've been very reluctant about that. COVID is one thing that changed my mind about it because the- You have time. I've got time and it's the performance opportunities are less than they've ever been. Yep. So in many ways, it's just the right time, you know, strategically. It's a good way to to use my time. But also I got to thinking about my own thinking about it, which was that usually I don't think that narrowly about a project. Usually when when constraints come up, I I like to think what are these constraints useful for? I mean it's it's my whole bread and butter making shovels into guitars is you, <laughs> is you say you've got all these limits yeah. and uh, in what way are these limits useful? Right. So I kind of changed my own thinking about the album which is you know I'm talking about all the limits and in reality I've got a room full of two dozen one of a kind musical instruments what's what's limiting about that right so i, I don't know exactly where it's going to lead i don't know what the music is going to be like besides what i've what i've made already but i just think um i'm me and i've got all this stuff i've made and let's start recording stuff and see what the yeah. see what it turns out to be okay very cool and then um do you have any sort of release plan in terms of like any kind of timetable or are you just right now composing and putting together pieces and when, when it feels right, then you'll, you'll put it out or, uh, I have every intention of putting it out within a year Okay, because I've received a small grant to put towards the, oh, wow. the doing of it. Okay. And so those people eventually are going to want to see that I've done something Some return. Right. Yeah. Or proof. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah. and, and I think a year is, is, uh, any, any longer than that, it maybe it's, you lose the focus of what the thing is. Right. It seems fair to have something completed within a year. So, um, how did you go about getting the grant or the funding for this? What's the grant? Uh, the The grant is through the Indiana Arts Commission. I live in Indiana, although very close to Chicago in Indiana, and uh, and they have a, a program which is basically an arts entrepreneurship workshop. And attendees of the workshop are eligible to get a grant to put into practice things they've learned in the workshop. So I was picked to be part of their workshop over the summer, and then following that, I applied for a grant. And it was just announced, I think, this week that that I was approved. Although I had a good feeling because I slaved over my grant application, so I felt like I was going to get it. But it's actually my second grant from them. I got one uh, two years ago to to basically to build an instrument, and I, I built a huge, um, colorful, upright bass sort of thing. Okay. Uh, a freestanding sculptural <laughs> upright bass. Um, that had many dozens of hours of stippling on it oh, and, had, wow. and had doors in the back so you could open it up in like a, an access panel. Okay. Anyway, so the Indiana Arts Commission has been great to me and shout out to the Indiana a Arts good, Commission. Good patron, right? Good, fine folks yeah. doing wholesome work in the state of Indiana. Right, and supporting their artists. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Although I did I did play it, I think maybe the the third time I played it, I played it in Beverly. Okay. Which is in Chicago. So, right. so Chicago has benefited from Indiana's generosity. Okay. You're welcome, everyone.
Join us now as we travel back in time to a simpler era. Ah, the carefree 90s. The carefree 90s. Back when the hair was long and wide. <laughs> the, hair and the, colors, <laughs> the colors were bright and the spandex was tight. The pants were wide. And the, pants were, the, the guitars were pointy. <laughs> Very pointy. <laughs> they were. You could skewer know. meat on them. <laughs> this is another I, podcast episode. It's like an episode within an episode. I, I can remember a bass in a music shop that had snakeskin painted on oh, it. Oh, absolutely. And I was thinking, man, what Badass. a great bait. Yeah. Snakeskin, perfect. Oh, man, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't show your true metal cred is a fucking <laughs> snakeskin bass. It's pointy, right? When, once I saw the snakeskin bass, I, I, just, I just thought, how could you have a bass that wasn't snakeskin? I mean, who would? What self-respecting person would play a bass not snakeskin painted i said to myself so what we're getting at folks is during this time is when sort of guitar music became incredibly popular in the states um there were a lot of what were called shredder guitar players out there uh by the likes of steve Vai, joe satriani eric johnson um etc etc and um Steve I in particular um, was, I don't think he was necessarily a champion for Berkeley, but he was somebody who was visible enough because he played with Zappa. And also he did a tenure with David Lee Roth after he left Van Halen, um, but had enough visibility for if you're coming up as a guitar player of that time, then Berkeley was like kind of a gold standard as a guitarist. And if you're going to be a serious professional musician, to be able to play the likes of music of Frank Zappa, um, from my perspective, like Berkeley was kind of the ideal. Um, so that that's kind of my understanding of Berkeley. Um, but everybody's got a different path. How did you get into Berkeley? I'm, I'm curious. Well, I went to Berkeley. That's no secret. You just went. I just went. Um, I don't know how I got in, but it was it was basically the only school I applied to. Seriously? Yeah. Get the fuck I, out I, of I think it may have been literally the only one. I think I had an application to Milliken that, okay. I, that I never – I think it just stayed – um, magneted to the refrigerator. I don't think I actually turned it in. Oh, wow. So uh, I went to Berkeley. Wow. <laughs> Although I don't think it was because I was a, I was not a genius. I was just a... You just went there. I was just a regular... You know, I'd, I'd been in orchestra okay. all through high school and had been... Uh, well, what what instrument did you go in under? Bass. Bass, okay. Yeah. So I'd, I'd taken bass lessons all through right. high school and, and could read music. N- right. Not great, but I, you know... Right acceptable i think for an incoming berkeley freshman right. and had played double bass in orchestra and jazz band so i think i was a, reg- a middle of the road berkeley candidate okay. um but the the thing about berkeley that sticks out for me is that at least at the time i think it had the highest um not in pure numbers but in ratio of international students oh okay so and there were students from every country in the world huh. and and some that i had not heard of yeah and and that was that was the education. I mean, okay. the, the the musical education was was great too. But the part sure. that I that I keep that my being, mind keeps being introduced to all these different cultures, right? Being being introduced to all these all these cultures, you, you know, yeah, you'd right. meet people, and then right. you'd do what college kids do, you know, swap books or CDs. Yeah. And uh, and I worked at the at the coffee place, the corporate coffee place across the street from Berkeley, right. where where everyone went like two or three times a day. Right. And so I got to be part of these like, I don't know, these these 40 second conversations while people were waiting for their coffee. And, you know, you someone would say something 
And uh, I'd say, oh, Steve Swallow, uh, you know about that? And they'd say, yeah, yeah, I know about that. I'll bring you a CD tomorrow. And then, they, you know, when they were in oh, line, wow. they were in the line the next day, they'd bring a CD. And you go, right. oh, that's cool. And then when you see them the next day, you say, Did you, do you like it or not? And I'd say, no, I didn't like it. And they'd say, all right, that's okay. Try Carla Blay, maybe like that. Right. But but this happened with people, you know, from all over the world. Right. So so people from, you know, South Korea would say, uh, you've seen any South Korean movies? And say, no. It's like, oh, see this one. And it's like... Then the so, same, same thing. The next it day, it wasn't say, even necessarily a music exchange. It was a pure cultural exchange. Pure, right. pure cultural exchange with people from all over the world. Right. And and the great thing about about Berkeley, which is, there's only one thing to do at, at Berkeley: play music. Right. And uh, and Boston is a college town, so I had lots of friends who went to other colleges: Boston yep. University, Northeastern, right. and and they didn't have the same experience that I had, which was, any stranger on the street, you know, at at Berkeley. Um, you you could basically meet and propose to play with, right? Um, and so it was basically these people from all over the world, who everyone had a common language. The the language, yeah, the, the music, and, right? And more or less the language of jazz. Yeah. So so there's this crazy thing that happened that that people who in some cases didn't speak the language, as me, um, we had we had common ground and it was easy to make friends and right. we'd, we'd have um, I I. I hesitate to call it an emotional experience, but I mean, you go in a room and, and play music with people for two hours, yeah, and you you leave with like kind of an understanding yeah. of what that person is like. It's and, a conversation like you and I are having. There's just it's just yeah. through instrumentation, right? Yeah. So I I had those right. conversations over and over with with people from all over the world, right. and got hipped to their right. their music and hipped to their movies and right. and books, and the the force of that just like kind of propelled me into my life. Not, what did you do when, once you left Berkeley? When when I finished at Berkeley, I was absolutely convinced that I was not going to do what I had just been trained to do, and <laughs> which and, makes a lot of sense as a and, as it was a music major. Yep, and and that I had a that I had a long road ahead of me to try and figure out how to do the thing I wanted to do. Yes, and it turns out that thing is exactly what I'm doing now. I'm I'm a builder of instruments. Right. I'm half artist, half musician. Yeah, and I do a show where where it's exactly whatever I want to make of it night after night and that it can be it can bring in any kind of element it can play any kind of music it's got no allegiance to anything and uh and sometimes occasionally it's funny because i i talk on stage and sometimes i'm able to get the whole thing to just kind of build to a place that's the thing i was trying to do and i didn't know that at the time but i just i knew that i that whatever i had just finished doing at berkeley that that was that was like wedge one yeah. of the trivial pursuit pie right and that the next thing to do was try and figure out what other wedges there were right but it wasn't like i took the world by storm right. i basically just like said oh man i got a lot of work to do yeah but i played in a, in a really cool band um called tub time okay that that was um most at least partly berkeley folks um scott collins okay. uh jeff chase and patty barkas who who sadly passed away um, but these are all all stalwarts of the Boston scene, and we had a really cool um, real time composition band. So it was, it was a band that only improvised, but but tried to improvise in a way that that sounded, sounded like composed. composing, like a, a real like, deep just, active listening, right? Um, sort everything of band. Had, everything had an intention when you were going to uh, say perform a phrase or you know vamp on something or whatever, right? Yeah. So okay. I learned a lot being in that band, and uh, yeah. you know played other gigs with other bands and, and tried to figure out uh, right what the next thing was going to be. Cool. That's cool that you're able to arrive that 
and do your art as you see fit. That, that's um, very admirable. I have a I have a strong sense that the uh, you know I have some I have some classmates whose whose names I'm just slightly too classy to drop yeah but who who left Berkeley and were on were on TV that year and were on magazines and who I still see on magazines, um, but I think what they had is that they knew what they wanted to do yeah so what, by the time they stopped going to Berkeley they were ready to, to do that they figured thing. it out already they knew right, what they right were going to do there. yeah and yeah. Uh, and I was a different kind of person i didn't know what i wanted to do and i wasn't pretending that i did yeah i was i was trying to gain a skill set yeah, yeah so yeah. that when the time came i could do it right and uh i had a feeling it was going to play out like this that i was going to be and equipped you for it for sure yeah so. but I, I had a feeling it was going to be my 40s when it was like by the time i got around to doing the thing that i was trying to do yeah oh very very cool man all right well joe thank you so much for coming out it yeah. was a sincere pleasure and thank you so much all right, uh, Joe Rowan, um, you can check him out. Uh, we have his links, all, all the stuff, and uh, some various video clips and such uh, with his fine um, collection of instruments on rockinchicago.org, along with this podcast episode. Thank you so much for listening, and remember to be kind to each other. Cheers. Uh-huh.